Good morning, church. We welcome you this morning. Uh, as we jump into worship today, uh, we're going to start with a song that's going to be new to some of us. Uh, so I want to teach you the chorus really quick. I hope you'll uh, jump in as you catch on here. Praise the Father. Praise the
to honor mothers today on this Mother's Day, check out this video. Well, moms, today is your day. It's a day to say thank you for loving us, caring for us, and guiding us. It's a day to recognize all you do and all you are to us, your perfect, wonderful, amazing children. Thanks for all the early mornings and for taking care of the things we take for granted. Thanks for never giving up on us, even when we stress you out. Thanks for making sure we have what we need and for giving us your heart even when you're sick and tired. Thanks for working hard even when we're a handful. 
and for loving us unconditionally when our attitude is anything but lovable. You're our everything, Mom, and we'd be a mess without you. Today, we thank God for the wonderful gift of you. Happy Mother's Day. On this Mother's Day, we do give thanks for the mothers, mother figures, and women who have poured into our lives in so many different ways. And we recognize the complexity of this day for uh, some and the many different journeys of the women in our midst. Uh, before we come to a time of prayer today, I want to share with you a reading um, called The Wide Spectrum of Motherhood, uh, written by Amy Young. Hear these words. To those who gave birth this year, especially to a first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we grieve with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stain, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk uh, the hard path of infertility, uh, fraught with po uh, pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, uh, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out uh, the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on those complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, uh, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in this coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. On this Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Let's pray together today. God, we give you thanks uh, for this day, especially for this opportunity to honor mothers and mother figures in our lives. We give you thanks for the time, the energy, the love, and the care they invested in our lives. God, we pray for the women in our midst. As we just reflected upon, we know that there are many different journeys represented, and we pray for each one. We pray strength for those moms who are feeling overwhelmed. We pray encouragement for those who are worn down. We pray peace for those who uh, have complicated and estranged relationships. We pray energy for those in the midst of sleepless nights or long days. We pray your love to wash over those for whom Mother's Day is difficult because of loss, hardship, distance, uh, a number of different reasons. But we give you thanks uh, for those in our lives who show us motherly grace, compassion, and care, even if they don't carry the official title of mother. And God, as we come now to hear from your word, uh, we just ask that you speak to us in a new way today, God. Open our hearts to you. Uh, and may we be used by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Good morning, this is Pastor Steve. We're uh, sharing with you today, uh, continuing our series about truths that transform, and uh, that is learning about Christ from the inner life. Uh, and today we're gonna be talking about one of the most inner parts of your experience. And that is, what is your passion? What is it that you are pursuing? What are you seeking? What are you searching for? Uh, we read a powerful scripture found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 that says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. The other passage I want to share with you today comes out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll open your word to our heart and to our mind, uh, that we might understand it, that it might make great make application in our life, and that we might grow in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are uh, two important things for us to remember, and that is whatever it is that gets our attention is what we begin to pursue. And when we are pursuing something for just simply our own personal gratification, it really is a self-obsession. But when we find something that we pursue beyond ourselves, it fuels our passion. Particularly when we're pursuing God, we are experiencing the life of God within us. It says in the Jeremiah pas passage that God said, They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, and have hewed their own cisterns. Uh, that cistern, if you're not familiar with it, is a catch basin for water. And that many places, even still today, have these cisterns where they fill up with water and you draw your water from them. But that water is in a cistern and can become stagnant. Where a living water is a flowing stream that is constantly bringing life, but you can't hold on to it, you can't keep it, you can't uh, dam it up, you have to let it flow. And living water is always considered the purest water and the safest water to drink because it's continuing to move. And for us, this application is important. God is saying, you must come and get from me living water that will fuel your soul and fill your life, and it will be better for you. But instead, he says, people said, no, we don't want to pursue God. We want to build our own little cisterns and have our own little water supply, and we will drink from it. Water is life. If you don't drink water, you will not survive. And the kind of water you drink will make a difference in the kind of life you live and how not only your body responds to physical water, but how you respond spiritually to, to God and to the life that you experience all around you. So it's important for us to recognize that uh, Jesus is telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. Pursue the living water that Jeremiah is talking about and God will take care of everything else. It was C.S. Lewis who said that uh, when it talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, 
He said, when we put first things first, we get first and second things thrown in. But when we put second things first, we lose both first and second things. So it's important for us to recognize where we direct our attention and our passion makes all of the difference. I've often said focus is everything. What you focus on determines where you're going in life and what your life will become. Uh, when I was a young teenager, I, I bought a car from my uncle for $1. It was a 1957 uh, Ford uh, wagon with a 312 four-barrel Thunderbird engine in it. Now, that may mean nothing to some of you out there, but back in those days, that was a good engine and that was a fun car to drive around. But I'm driving down the road and I have my car full of my friends and we're carrying on as we're driving when a wasp flew into my window and started buzzing around my face and head. And the guy sitting beside of me decided he wanted to kill it. So he took a newspaper and started swatting it. And pretty soon I'm watching him and the wasp and the next thing I know, I'm off the road, in the ditch, up in a person's yard, and he's on his riding lawnmower coming around, looking at me as he looks up from his mower, and I'm heading straight for him. So I cut to the left, he cuts to the right, and we miss each other. But by then, I'd already been in the ditch, and already my car was damaged. I had lost focus because I started focusing on the drama that was around me instead of keeping my eyes on the road. Whatever gets your attention will ultimately determine your direction. And so when we read these passages and it's telling us to drink from the living water or seek first the kingdom, it's important. Because there are two dual obsessions in life. There is a self-obsession and there is a God-obsession. Self-obsession says this, personal pain is my greatest enemy. You see, a lot of people believe that life is really about them and that life should all go well for them. Many people mistakenly believe that Somehow, if everything works out, I won't have any problems. I will be rich. I will have lots of money. All of my kids will turn out perfect. Everything in my life will be great. And some people erroneously try to inject God into the mix, and they use God to help them to have a good life. In other words, they say, Lord, I'll follow you as long as you make sure my kids turn out well, as long as you make sure I have enough money, and as long as everything in my life goes reasonably well. I mean, I don't think any of us expects no problems, but we don't want big problems. But when you're self-obsessed, you use God in order to keep your agenda on track. You want God to make your life go well. We love God for what I said last week, for what he can do for us. And that keeps us self-obsessed. The second thing in a life that is driven by self-obsession is that life going well for you is your source of joy. What you are excited about in life is that life does what I want it to. My life is going great, so I am happy. But you have a problem. 
life will not always go well for you. One of the mistaken concepts that we get is that we all think that somehow we are to live in Eden, always, here and now. But Eden disappeared. Sin came into the world, and the result of it is that our world is a fallen place. Uh, none of this goes perfect. It was only perfect in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't perfect anywhere else. Why we get that concept in our head, I'm not sure. Maybe somehow imprinted on our DNA is this idea that we think everything should be perfect all the time. But when we try to make our lives going well, our source of joy, we're sure to be disappointed because life doesn't always go well. And then the third thing about a self-obsessed life is, is that we kind of think our felt need at the moment is our surest guide. What we feel we need and what we desire is, is what drives us. It's what tells us what to do. We act on impulse to satisfy desires. We want quick gratification. And we don't understand that sometimes that leads us down the wrong track. That's drinking from our own cistern. That's drinking waters that we have created and made for ourselves. And that always drains us of spiritual life and enthusiasm. It's important, I think, as I've grown in life to recognize that sometimes difficulties coming our way are the greatest moments we can have because those are the moments that teach us, that help us to grow. I have known a few millionaires in my day and many of them have shared with me that the greatest moment that turned their life around was not some great financial victory, but it was a major setback. And so when we live in the times we're living in right now, for instance, with all of the, the quarantine and isolation, we may feel like we're set back. Some maybe have lost their jobs. Some may have lost their businesses. And we feel like it's a, it's a setback, but it doesn't have to end there. These are opportunities if we can stop being self-obsessed and look for something greater than ourselves to satisfy our heart. So we those are the things that lead us to self-obsession. And self-obsession, no matter how well things go for you, never satisfies. Uh, one time in this country, there was a man named Howard Hughes, who back in the 60s and 70s was the richest man in the world. But he had become a recluse. He had quarantined himself from the rest of the world. He was afraid of all germs. He didn't want to get touched by anybody. And so reporters made a phone call to his room and they asked him some questions. And finally, a reporter asked him, Howard, are you happy? He said, no, I'm not happy. I can remember actor Paul Newman, who was a well-known actor back many decades ago, who uh, became very successful. He was good looking, he had money, uh, started his own food business. He did extraordinarily well. But they would ask him the same question, are you happy? He would say, no, I'm not happy. Why? Because if you drink from the wrong cistern, if you drink from just something that satisfies you, it won't make you happy. Uh, life isn't about finding 
what just makes me happy in me designing it. Life is about finding joy, and joy and happiness are different from each other. Happiness comes from the word happenings, and it means that you're happy because of what's happening. But the word joy is an internal word, and it means that you're happy in spite of what's happening, or you have joy in spite of what's going on around you. Uh, the way I illustrate joy is it's like taking a basketball and pushing it down in the water in a swimming pool. You can put all the pressure you want on it, but you can't stop it. The moment you take your hand off of it, it's going to shoot up through the water. Why? Because it's got an inner pressure that counteracts the outward pressure. And that's what joy is in the Christian's life. It brings a buoyancy that even the trials and tribulations of this world cannot stop it. The scriptures tell us in Hebrew chapter 12 that Jesus for the joy set before him endured this cross despising the shame and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. Joy is something that counteracts our all of the trauma and the trial that we experience. But how do we get it? Well, instead of being self-obsessed, we have to have a God obsession. We have to look at the things that pull us towards God and realize that God is the living water. Jesus said, I am the living water. We must drink from his fount if we're going to have a passion for life. So what does a God-obsessed uh, God life look like? Well, number one, we don't look at personal suffering as an obstacle. Personal suffering is our friend. We recognize that when we go through these trials and tribulations, we are not alone, but God is with us in those moments. And that there are things that we can learn and things by which we may grow in those difficult times that good times could never teach us these things. Suffering sometimes teaches us things that health and wealth and good times cannot. So we must look that suffering doesn't draw us away from our joy, it draws us to it. Because when we're in those difficult moments, we pursue God. When we're in a situation where only God can help us where only Jesus can be our friend. We cry out to him and we are drawn deeper and closer and start drinking from the living water. The second thing of a God-obsessed life is that we recognize that life going well can be dangerous. The scripture says, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Uh, sometimes things going well is where we get into trouble. It was when David's kingdom was doing well that he decided to not go with his soldiers and fight. And he stood on the rooftop of his house and he saw Bathsheba from afar and he desired her. And the next thing you know, he wound up in a relationship that created problems not only for himself personally, but with his children and with his kingdom. So sometimes life going well can be dangerous. Now, please don't misunderstand. It's okay if things go well, but we realize that things going well is not the guide that tells us whether or not we are experiencing joy or not. It is only our relationship with God that can define that. 
not anything else. The third thing that a God-obsessed life is, is our desire for God's glory, informed by the scripture, is our reliable guide. Uh, we want to allow the glory of God to fill our life, to seek Him. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it said they were glorifying God with everything they were saying. That's a pretty potent uh, statement. Uh, the glory of God coming down in the temple in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God is what led the children of Israel. It's what filled the temple. It was amazing experience to see and experience God in that way, even if it was from afar for them. But now the scripture tells us that we are the Spirit of God, I mean the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in us. We being the temple of God allows the glory of God to come and rest upon us in our own life through the Holy Spirit. So we can begin to experience tremendous joy. The Westminster Confession uh, has a statement in it, and it says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man. God is a joy. God is an experience through Jesus Christ that lifts our spirits, that radiates our hearts, and sets us on fire. It is more important than your life going well, because if you have that experience with God, you have your joy, you have your hope, and whether life goes well or doesn't go well, whether you're quarantined or not quarantined, it makes no difference because the source of your life is not whether or not the world is going well or life is going well. The source of your joy is the constant presence of Jesus in your life. That's what it's all about. So you have to realize that Experiencing and pursuing God is essential, and not whether or not all your deals work out. It, many young people today are looking towards the future and probably not knowing what to make of it. It seems uncertain at best in many ways, and yet it is not without hope. There are many wonderful things we can do and many wonderful things we can pursue, uh, no matter what shape the world is in. Find something that you love doing and do it and do it well. One successful businessman told me, he says, I learned to do something that I could do and I enjoyed doing it and I just kept doing it long enough till I figured out how to do it well enough to make a lot of money at it. Uh, that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. Don't have to be poor. You don't have to you know, uh, not be able to have fun times or good times. It's not what I'm saying. But what God is concerned with in your life is your relationship with Him. And what you need to be more concerned about is your relationship with Him and that He becomes your source of joy and not what it is necessarily you do. For the greatest danger we can make in this world today is to make our careers or our jobs our passion instead of Jesus Christ. 
when He's our passion, then we can follow Him. And whatever it is we wind up doing, whatever our calling is in life, we can do it and do it with the hand of God upon everything that we do. I think every single one of us are ministers, whether we realize it or not. You don't have to be ordained clergy, but every one of us have been called to minister the grace of God to the world around us. And whatever occupation you have in it, there will be people you meet and come in contact with, with whom you've been given the opportunity to share the gospel. So it isn't about life going well. It's about seeking Him. You know, Jesus said some things that uh, seem almost uh, extraordinary in our minds. You know, He said it's important that you seek God, that you go to heaven. And if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. I wasn't literally saying you need to cut off your hands, but you need to get rid of whatever is keeping you from seeking Him. I had a woman who came into my office many years ago. She had many children, I think six or seven. She was trying to homeschool them, keep up with all the other families that are doing it. And uh, it was getting overwhelming for her. Uh, I told her she was doing more than I think I ever could have done with my children. But uh, she, we talked about it, we counseled for a while. Finally, she came in one day and said to me, Pastor, I think I get it. And I said, get what? That God is more concerned that I make it to heaven than whether or not my life is good here. I said, well, how do you say that? Why do you say that? She says, I was reading that passage, and it was the passage I just quoted to you, where Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off because it'd be better to enter into heaven maimed instead of having both hands and both eyes and both feet and be cast into hell. She says, I think God's more concerned that I make it to heaven than He is anything else. That's really important to recognize. He is more concerned for you to be with Him, and He is pursuing you because He loves you. And he cares about you. And he wants to be with you. Let him be the passion of your life. Drink from the living water. And not a cistern that you have dug yourself. Pursue Jesus. And your heart will always find joy. It doesn't mean your life will always be easy. It doesn't mean you won't have problems but you will always find meaning and purpose and joy in Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will get thrown in. That's a great passion to have, and it's one that will never fail you. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I ask that you abide with us this day. May your presence and your peace rest upon us. But let our hearts be stirred this day with a hunger, a thirst, a thirst that can only be quenched by drinking from the fount of living water. We think of the words of Jesus who said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink of me.
for I am the living water. Oh Lord, may we come this day and drink from the living water. And then Lord, whatever else we need to do, it will be well. It is in your name we pray, amen. I wanna leave you with just uh, this word. Somebody asked uh, George McDonald's father, what would you make of young George? And he said, I'll make a man of him, and after that, anything else he likes. Well, I've often applied that in our walk with God. But what is it that God wants? He says, I'm going to make you a follower of Jesus. And after that, anything else you like. That's the great hope and promise we have. So let that go with you this week. And may the peace and the grace and the mercy of Jesus rest upon you and in all you do. God bless you. Street.
Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your spirit, that you speak to us, you are present with us, that you fill us with joy. God, we just ask that as we go about our day today, as we go about our week, just continue to fill us up. Let us be close to you and draw near to you, that your overabundance of this joy that you're bringing to us just spills out on everyone we encounter. God, today we thank you for our moms. We just thank you for the blessing that you provide with us and their love. And God, we just ask that all the rest of us, that we take care of them today and that we show them your love. In your holy name we pray. Amen.